Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Gregory Melville and Susan Fox and Kathleen Bromage. Down the way where the nights are gay and the sun shines daily on the mountain top. I took a trip on a sailing ship and when I reached Jamaica I made a stop but I'm sad to say I'm on my way won't be back for many a day my heart is down my head is turning around I had to leave a little girl in Kingston town That of course is Harry Belafonte who left us this week at the age, I believe, of 96. Is that right? Um, yes, he was 96. That's his Jamaica farewell. And obviously, well chosen by our producer, Jonathan McPants, as we say goodbye to Harry Belafonte. I don't know if this is, I don't know if we, never mind, I'm not going to even mention it. There's somebody who works here. I'll say this part. There's somebody that I, I work with and that I'm pleased and proud to work with, Diane Orson, who actually, I think, toured the world with Harry Belafonte as a backup singer back in her salad days. Um, and so, I don't know. I thought about her immediately when I got this news. Uh, all right, so today we're going to talk about um, two things. One of them is Baby J, a new comedy special from John Mulaney, which works off the well-publicized uh, decision by him, or actually because we find out a decision that was essentially made by other people, uh, for him to go to rehab for a pretty serious drug problem. Uh, he would say, I think, a life-threatening uh, drug problem. Uh, nonetheless, this is actually, I think we're all going to agree, a very, very funny comedy special about some very dark material. But first, we're going to talk about The Diplomat. The Diplomat is a Carrie Russell vehicle. Uh, it is on Netflix, as is Baby J, for that matter. An eight-episode series that was created by Deborah Kahn. Deborah Kahn was a writer and producer on The West Wing for four seasons. Uh, she's also worked on Homeland. I think the two... Are, I mean, I think she, she played a major role with Homeland, I think, and the two, those two franchises kind of come together a little bit uh, in this series. It is about uh, a career, um, let's see, a, a career diplomatic or foreign service officer uh, who is suddenly handed the ambassadorship to London, it's, which is usually kind of a plum that goes to well-connected big donors. But uh, there's a whole bunch of reasons that this whole idea is sprung on her, reasons she doesn't know. A lot of people are running hidden agendas, including her husband, uh, Hal, who's played by uh, Russell Rufus Sewell, who we usually see as kind of a villain. Here he's so far kind of a charming rogue. I'm only six episodes in. I'm really excited to get to seven and eight. Uh, they are directed by the a more experienced director from than what we've seen so far, Alex Graves, uh, who did work for his sins on uh, The Newsroom, which, you know, it's only one episode. We can forgive him. I would just take it off my resume if I were him. But he did do 34 episodes of The West Wing, worked on Sports Night, has some other pretty impressive credentials, which uh, Jonathan McPance did not listen uh, list because they were, did not involve Aaron Sorkin. 
American properties. Uh, all right, so The Diplomat. Uh, now, meanwhile, I've got to tell you who's on the show today. Sam Hadleman works in music public relations, hopes, hosts the Sam Hadleman Show at Radio Free Brooklyn. Sean Murray is a stand-up comedian, writer, and the host of the Nobody Asked Sean, S-H-A-W-N podcast. Carolyn Payne is an actress, a comedian, and dancer, and she's the founder, director, and choreographer of Kinetic Dance and has a very exciting project, a digital project uh, going on at the Bushnell right now on their big screens and in their courtyard. Uh, it is a, uh, you might have heard about it on All Things Considered yesterday where it was covered by Ray Hardman, but it, it basically is, um, I don't know, what would you, how would you call it? It's, it's sort of a depiction of the drag world, right? Yeah, so it's actually like watching a drag show, but gone digital. So there are six drag queens on the giant digital screens, and uh, they're interacting with each other and a little bit with the crowd through the screen. So uh, it's uh, kind of immersive uh, in that sense. Right. That was, I think, a term that was used by one of the people interviewed on Ray's piece last night. So since you have the floor right now, tell me about The Diplomat. Um doesn't strike me as a Carolyn Payne kind of thing, but I've been wrong before. Well, you're not wrong this time. Uh, I really struggled with watching this. It, it it's I, I compare it to like the West Wing. Like I know it's good, and I, I know the performances are good. It's well written, but it just it's not grabbing me. I have had a lot of trouble sitting through this. I started it yesterday, and I, I keep you know picking up my phone and scrolling through Instagram and doing everything but focusing on it. Uh, that's not because it's not good. It's just, it's a little slow. It has very like chewy dialogue. Um, it, and it, you know, this just is, it's not, it's not my thing, but I can respect how well done it is. Yeah. I mean, I think this is, you pay a big price for not paying attention to it, partly because yes. it's very complicated. I mean, I'm paying rapt attention, uh, and I'm somewhat, I'm probably a little bit better versed in this world than anybody else on the show today. Uh, and I'm having a hard time following stuff. You know, I mean, I have to sort of go back and think a little bit about what was that particular back channel all about. So, and, and yeah, there is, there's so far not really a whole lot of slam bang action. Whatever action is happening is mostly happening off screen. Uh, so this is very much about um, how diplomacy works, how a very complicated and unusual marriage works, um, how people are treated within large organizations, especially within two different government organizations. And um, and so, well, anyway, let's hear from the rest of the panel. Uh, Sean, how about you? I don't know anything about what this panel thought about this. Uh, they've been uncustomarily silent about it uh, all week long, which I take as kind of a dark cloud in the sky. So, Sean, uh, you, what were you, what were your thoughts? Uh, it's the darkest cloud imaginable, Colin. Um, <laughs> no, I, I I feel like Carolyn just kind of stole my uh, answer <laughs> straight up, like verbatim. Um, I, I like it. It's 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 like this would have been great on CBS in like two thousand nine, except they wouldn't. It would have been weird to not have a black president, and also they wouldn't have been able to curse as much. Um, I love David Gyasi, um, great actor. Love him in Interstellar, underrated. Um, I feel like it should just be like if, if this was a show about Carrie Russell and David, Gia like a romance movie with those two, I'd love it. Uh, as a show, it works. It's like you know, it, it is sort of just like Homeland mashed with West Wing. Um, I don't know if I would have watched it if if I wasn't doing your lovely show, Colin. But I'm enjoying it more than I would have expected, and it's mainly because of Carrie Russell. 
Yeah, she's, I mean, I'll say a little bit more about it as we go along. David Gassi, who uh, Sean just mentioned, plays Foreign Secretary uh, Austin Dennison. He's the British diplomat and kind of her counterpart uh, as she's been suddenly given this kind of battlefield promotion to uh, ambassador to London. Uh, there is a lot of cursing. Uh, there are, uh, It goes in some interesting kind of dark places. I don't know whether CBS would have greenlit this. Well, I should quickly say before we go to Sam, there are some other performances that I think are pretty remarkable. They're done by people that I'm really not that familiar with. Ali An is, plays Idra Park. She's the CIA station chief, is chief in London. Ato Essendo is Stuart Hayford, who is basically the chief of staff to the uh, the ambassador in London, uh, somebody we do know pretty well. Michael McKean is the president of the United States. He's clearly kind of a Biden figure. He's kind of aging out of his job. Uh, he's having to prove on a regular basis that he's got his mentation together. Um, he's, for the most part, not playing it for laughs as much as Michael McKean can ever do that. Although if you saw him as Chuck in Better Call Saul, you know he can play uh, a pretty sad role too. So so Sam Hattleman, uh, <laughs> one more vote from the jury. What are you going to say? Um, first off, I want to explain why I wasn't uh, emailing. I don't know if you know, Colin, but Mercury's in retrograde. Mm-hmm. So um, everything's been breaking. Like my computer broke, like everything went wrong. And I just learned it's because of uh, the whole Mercury thing. Yeah, Mercury. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm like a weird guy where like I hated Homeland but loved West Wing. But I kind of view this television kind of as like texting fodder, like I can scroll and kind of just peep in every once in a while. And I'm like kind of more attuned to the dramatics of it rather than like the actual dialogue, which is kind of weird because you said you were like so tuned in and everyone else is kind of like, eh, I was on TikTok while I was watching. Um, I think the parts were there and it feels like there's been like a running theme with the shows you've like had us pick recently, like The Night Agent, stuff like that. And out of that category, I think this is one of the better shows, but I'm kind of with... Sean and Carolyn, where I'm like, eh, I don't know if I would have watched this in my free time. Um, I did like the pacing of it. I thought, like I said, the dramatics and the casting worked, but probably not something I would have watched on a Thursday night by myself. We, before we say a little bit more, let's hear some stuff from the clip, uh, from the show here, a clip from the show. That's what I'm trying to say, get out of my mouth here. Uh, this is, you will hear uh, Ato Asando as Stuart Hayford, Chief of Staff, Kerry Russell as Ambassador Kate Weiler, Pearl Mackey as, I don't even know who that is. Uh, Rufus Sewell is Hal Weiler. I think this is uh, kind of pretty much upon arrival uh, at, the, uh, at the ambassador's residence. Here we go, A1. You can't start work until you give a copy of your credentials to the Foreign Office. And then you'll submit them officially at Buckingham Palace. We try to do a dry run with all the gear. There have been issues getting in and out of the carriage. Carriage? Uh, Did you pack a dress, maybe T-length? No. Pippa. We have a stylist. She'll come by the embassy. This is today. When is the ceremony? We're not sure exactly, but if we can run the rehearsal, we'd like to. So you can photograph it? Inviting a couple of reporters? One. She's good. She'll do a feature. Push it. I'll give them a break. They need a picture of you for the website. On a horse? It'll be great. They'll do before and after photos. First time ambassador. You need to lean into the Cinderella thing. I am not Cinderella. I'm here for 30 funerals. The only T-length garment I packed is a burqa. I have a black suit, and I have another black suit. And I'm not getting dressed by someone named Pippa so a women's magazine can ask who I'm wearing and what advice I have for little girls. 
So, Carolyn, let's work off this a little bit. I mean, one of the interesting tensions in this series is that Carrie Russell is a very serious person who knows a lot uh, about the job that she has been boosted to, unlike most of the people who have that job, who are large donors to presidential campaigns. She knows a lot. She wants to be taken seriously in a job where people often are not taken all that seriously because the serious work is expected to be done by the kind of person that Carrie Russell has been for her, her entire career heretofore. And she's pushing back also a lot against the glam part of this. Um, She plays really, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, Carolyn, probably the first two episodes with really greasy hair, (laughs) which she refuses to do anything about, even as the eyes of the world turn towards her. And I I mean, I I thought, you know, it either makes you uncomfortable, it makes you want to run up to her with a bottle of shampoo, or there's sort of a way in which she's doing something kind of interesting, a little different from what you might see in a different kind of series. I mean, I guess, but I also kind of struggle with that trope that you can't be a smart, uh, powerful woman with clean hair. Like, why would those two things not go, you know, why is, are we supposed to just believe that she's so busy, she doesn't have time to shower and she really wants to be taken seriously. So she's just pushing aside any sort of femininity of wearing nice clothes or, you know, using a hairbrush. I, I think that that's something that I, I thought we were kind of past that. I, th- I thought we were sort of more in a world where you, you know, we can and do see it all. Um, so that kind of to me was sort of dated and weird and like a stupid. Okay, thing I'm, I'm gonna see. I'm gonna push back against that a little bit because uh-huh. first of all, I I should say I really like this series. I think it's terrific. I'm a big Carrie Russell fan anyway. But um, but I, I think you're misreading it. What she is is a person, as I said, who has worked in the trenches her entire life. She has not sought the job of an ambassador. It sprung on her, and she no sooner is it sprung on her, but they load her on a plane and send her there in the clothes that she's been wearing. She is arriving at a crisis. A British carrier. Has been, has been hit and and maybe sinking. We don't know yet at that point. There are at least 30 dead Brits, and she is representing America's interests there. And her habit, her lifetime habit, she's however old she is. She's probably about 40 or something uh, in this series. Her lifetime habit has been to be the person who doesn't have time to wash her hair because she's running around trying to address the substance of stuff. So I... I I really, right. I really feel like that's that just you know. I mean, I think that's what's going on. But I think they're willing to make us uncomfortable with how greasy your hair is too. Yeah, I, I guess when you look at it from that angle, and they're really that this is like a part of her character and and stuff like that. But and and I get, I did, I do respect her pushback when they're saying like you know put on this pretty dress. She literally, like you said, had just landed, and there is a major crisis, and they are pushing her into this like Vogue photo shoot that did seem a little. Like, I was like, let's get our priorities straight. Even I was like, this is a, a bit much for her. But, I, you know, I, I don't I don't know. I think that for me, there was sort of like a mixed bag of who uh, I, I guess I felt like they were like really shoving it down at her throats of who she is and in this character in this uh, in, in, in the way that they were presenting her here. Uh, but <laughs> she I, I thought that the uh, photo shoot were there like, you know, dressing her up in that. I did love her incredible cape dress that they put her in. Um, I thought that that was pretty spectacular, but I did feel her pain of how they were pushing her to become this kind of Vogue model woman. But that being said, I I thought that her greasy hair was very off-putting. Like she just seemed way too, way too frazzled. 
even for the situation she was in. Yeah, Sean, if I were going to criticize this ser- this series, and I did, I'd say around episode two or three, I had a crisis of faith about it, partly because some of it seemed <laughs> so implausible that they would, for example, schedule some kind of fashion-y photo shoot for a newly arrived ambassador in the middle of a crisis. That really does th- seem like the Carrie Russell's character was right. You just push that. You can't do that right now. Uh, but they needed that to kind of create the kind of comic tension. And I also really questioned for a while whether you could do a kind of screwball Cary Grant- Rosalind Russell, Catherine Hepburn kind of comedy, which they're sort of doing, particularly between the the married couple here, Hal Weiler and Kate Weiler, Rufus Sewell uh, and Carrie Russell, and then have a kind of homeland style, you know, sort of heart in your mouth, diplomatic crisis, who's doing who kind of, you know, espionage thriller in the background or, or the foreground. I don't know. They, they eventually evened it out. But Sean, I'm also wondering how you feel about the the comic part of this, the way in which this is supposed to be kind of a funny uh, or amusingly dysfunctional marriage that sometimes involves the wife, like, beating up the husband. John. I'd like to to say this. I'd like to say this first, that Otto Esno is the guy from the Jason Bourne trailer who says, oh, my God, it's Jason Bourne. So that just (laughs) everyone should just know that. Um I love that about him. Uh, but as for the comic, I think, you know, what? I th- it, it is a weird juxtaposition of those two. Um, like, like this is a very serious show about a very serious event. And then you have like this lovable scamp who everybody like thinks is an SOB, but also like, like wouldn't they just kill that guy? Wouldn't they just like, <laughs> we've had enough of Hal. Like he's, he, he should, he's like interfering with international relations. Just kill. Like they would have been so happy when he got kidnapped. Uh, which is also kind of <laughs> a little far fetched for me. When he was like, I was like, I was like, is this going to turn into like, like they're going to like rescue him or whatever? Going, she, like, she pulls out a syringe. I thought he was going to cheat on his wife, and then she has a syringe. Uh, it was very weird. But I, I, I like that's one of the elements I do like is like how much they have to like deal with Rufus Sewell just being like the worst. Like he has no redeeming qualities. Like as far as like what he, as far as like in a professional sense. I mean, he's charming, but it's like they would never let him into the uh, embassy. Like, just keep him out of the building because every time he comes in here, he calls, like, <laughs> you know, the leader of North Korea and, like, they're chatting about golf. Like, dude, you can't do that. No, I, I've been wondering the entire time because. Partly because Rufus Sewell, you know, actors like Rufus Sewell, unlike some of the actors here that I'm less familiar with, they arrive with a certain amount of baggage. I mean, he's been a really despicable person in so many different roles, and I'll never forgive him for the way he treated Heath Ledger in The Knight's Tale. Uh, so I'm waiting for him to turn into the one who knocks. You know, when all this sort of glad-handing and lovable scamp stuff melts away, it's going to turn out that he's really doing some, you know, even more horrible things than, than we have uh, seen so far. As I say, yeah, off a rubber mask and reveal himself to be the Red Skull. Yeah, he, he, he. I still have two episodes to go. He did in one of the more recent episodes, sort of cheat on his wife, who doesn't really care anyway, in a fairly bizarre way. Uh, also, why are they still married? Why are they like, just like, like, not even like, what does she ever see in him? Like, I don't even get. Like, I don't get it. But go ahead, ask Sam a question because it's his turn. It's yes. Well. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, Sam, the, what I would be talking about, but you can talk. You should talk about whatever you want to talk about. I I actually haven't seen Kerry Russell do out and out comedy in a while, and this is not out and out comedy. If I were going to criticize her in the show, I would say that she resi- re- she relies a little bit 
too much on the dropped jaw, the agape mouth when something really outrageous is happening, so much so that I think Rufus Sewell's character at one point tells her to close her mouth. Um, but it is sort of fun watching her do this kind of stuff. I don't know if you were uh, a fan of the Americans. This is kind of a different character than Elizabeth, who she played in The Americans. But I'm just wondering whether you're enjoying her performance or not. Uh, actually, I tried to watch The Americans like two weeks ago because I had like an open TV schedule and, and I like fell asleep. I was just not into it. Um, I thought I I know. I know. I probably shouldn't have said that on NPR. Um, I I really liked her, actually, like. It, it, we keep bringing up the West Wing, but like the West Wing wasn't exactly like haha funny, but it was like cheeky. Like if you ever been to like a DC bar, like the jokes they tell in there, it's like that type of cheeky. And I guess that like, yeah, there was a few moments where I kind of like giggled to myself. Um, I really liked Kate and Hal's, uh, Carrie Russell and Rufus Hill's, um dynamic and kind of the the power dynamic that went along. I thought that, like one of the funniest parts was like him trying to leave the compound and like him gasping, saying like, oh, I don't have a driver. I have to go get a taxi. And yeah, um, I thought that that was like an interesting general power dynamic switch. Uh, but yeah, she, she made me laugh a couple times. All right, we're going to uh, go to a break here. I will just say, despite with everything you've heard here, it's really good. It's the number one show on Netflix right now for a reason. It is a little challenging. I mean, you have to really pay attention. I, I would say scrolling through your phone while you're watching it means you're probably going to spend a lot of time going, why did they do that? Because I'm not doing that, and I'm still going, why did they do that? And maybe having to rewind and figure something out. But it's called The Diplomat. stars Carrie Russell and Rufus Sewell. We're going to talk about John Mulaney when we come back. Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. ECMO is a leading-edge, life-saving treatment for patients with cardiac or respiratory failure. Dr. Jason Gluck, director of the Mechanical Circulatory Support Program and Emergency Cardiac Care at Hartford Hospital, explains what it is. So ECMO stands for extracorporeal membrane oxygenation, outside the body oxygenation of blood. It's a life support technique that's used by highly sophisticated medical systems for patients with severe heart or lung failure. The technique involves removing blood from the body, oxygening it, and then returning it back. ECMO procedures happen in the ICU, but not all hospitals are equipped with the necessary technology and staff. Dr. Gluck describes Hartford Hospital's ECMO Go team. So ECMO is considered when treatments have failed, and in our center, with a special ECMO on the go team, we'll actually take that technology to their hospital and help them out there if they need to to stabilize the patient and then bring them back to heart for recovery. For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash health. We're back. This is the news on the panel today. Sam Hadleman, Sean Murray, uh, Carolyn Payne. Baby J is John Mulaney's fifth comedy special, his fourth for Netflix, his fourth stand-up special. Uh, this one, uh, like some of the other ones, is directed by Alex Timbers, uh, who's won two Tonys and co-created Mozart in the Jungle, which people should watch. Uh, and it actually is 
if there's such a thing as sort of a glamorous looking comedy special, stand up comedy special, this is it. You can sort of, you know, McPants was the first person to point this out, but a certain amount of money was just spent making this look really, really great. Uh, let's hear um, a little bit of uh, Mulaney's beginning. Um, and he he talks about how the vibe is a little bit different now. Uh, this is uh, a uh, stand-up that he has done to sort of commemorate and work comedically off his time in drug rehab. Let's hear B1. Well, I apologize for beginning the show on such a dark note. But I didn't want to start way too upbeat, you know? I've had a weird couple years. You've had a weird couple years. I didn't want to come out all phony, you know? Be like, hey, Boston, it's time to laugh. Raise up your smiles, lower those masks. You know what I mean. We all quarantined. We all went to rehab and we all got divorced. And now our reputation is different. No one knows what to think. Hey, yeah, all the kids like Bo Burnham more because he's currently less problematic. Likeability is a jail. So we can't start that way. I thanks, I wrote that song. Sean, Sean, so there's a, I should say, first of all, there's, there are jokes within jokes about all of that. Mulaney's um, actually a, kind of a musical freak. Uh, if you've ever seen a documentary now, the Senate of the Heat that he and some other people did of the Penny Baker recording of the company uh, cast album. But, but also now when he hosts Saturday Night Live, it's de rigueur that there's going to be a musical segment that's usually based, I think, on a specific Broadway musical, but it takes place like in the bathroom of a bodega or <laughs> the, the airport sushi bar or something. Um, but um, so the kind of singing stuff, he doesn't really sing, but the singing stuff is kind of a joke about that. But one of the other big jokes, Sean, is about the fact that, you know, uh, Mulaney had kind of a persona uh, that he used in his stand-up. His stand-up was always very much based on his life and is somewhat confessional. But for a long time, it was about his marriage and why he and his wife, they did, he did a whole thing about why he and his wife didn't want to have kids and they were perfectly happy without kids and all this stuff. And he subsequently divorced his wife and then had a baby with somebody else. Uh, and I think that's a little bit along with the rehab. Our reputation is different now. Maybe, Sean, he's even thinking about his own insecurities about that. Like, how is he going to be received now that he's telling a very different story about the same person? Well, that's what I kind of love about like his approach to the special is that like, like to like it would be ridiculous to pretend like everyone obviously like to, obviously to pretend like everyone didn't know what happened with him. But also, I think it, it finally allows him to like let his like hair down in the sense of like, hey, like I'm I'm a bit of an a hole or I'm, I'm a bit like of a jerk. I, I I'm I'm insecure. I'm like because because his persona is so like like you know church boy and even he talks about in new in town that he used to be uh had a cocaine problem and we found out that he had a cocaine problem throughout uh his life but um it's like you always kind of see him as like this kind of golden boy sort of like you know marionette puppet and then now he's like um you know like a real person for the first time i feel like i mean i'm, I'm you know he's always a real person but i feel like he doesn't have to be like john mulaney anymore and i think that's pretty great 
Yeah, I mean, I'll, it's going to stay you uh, stay with you for a second here too, particularly because as a stand-up comic, um, you know, you get your own set of reactions to this. And we should say you've seen it live, right? You saw him live in Philadelphia. Uh, maybe say a little bit more about how, how do you think he's doing with this new persona? I mean, I, I think uh, I don't really know what Sam's going to say, but I think all of us kind of feel like he's managed to do a really, really funny special with the material he's got, which wasn't necessarily a lock. I think he's doing great with it because. I, like he recognizes that like the joke has to be on him like uh you know like, you know and that's usually the joke in uh, the thing in comedy but usually when when a when a, a comic has like the I got to address the elephant in the room special it's very more like sentimental and um like it's like important and it's it's quiet as points and it's like you know poignant it's like no just just just, just do jokes but I love that he's like um. Like the, the story he tells about um when he's pawning the Rolex mm-hmm. is like one of the funniest things. It's so good because like at at no point in this story is he ever the good guy. Like he's not doing he's not doing anything particularly bad. I mean, doing drugs I guess is bad if you're like in eighth grade or whatever. Like the kid in the audience, fifth grade. Um, but um, I I think it's like it's I love this because it's a whole new side of him, and I hate that he had to you know go through a near death like you know a horrible drug addiction to get to this point but it's like it's so much more to explore with him now yeah i mean and so sam um the, the i think Mulaney really first of all has done this amazing job i said this in our emails of kind of establishing himself in the comedy universe as a really really important front line comic whose specials are, are going to get washed uh, watched and he's now i think about 40 or 41 he's really kind of hit his stride here but he's also working a little bit more in the direction we've seen Chris Rock work in too where this is confessional material i mean he really walks us through not only the degradation involved of being a drug seeking user who will do anything to get drugs and deal with very sketchy people in order to accomplish that, but then just completely abase himself uh, in rehab. Uh, and and I, I don't know, I, I found the whole thing so hilarious, but it is the confessional part of this is sort of not what we've seen from him in the past. Yeah, it's like fi- finally made me like him. I, to be honest, I, I've always found him like really insufferable. Like I've never thought John Mulaney was funny at all. I actually like avoid him at all costs because of that whole like why do you keep saying these things? Sam? I'm telling you, like I never. He was like the clean church boy. Take your shoes off before you go in the house. Like I was just like, oh brother. Um, but this special, I was laughing the whole time. I feel like it's just because of that like cloak being taken off and him being like a little bit more human and stripping down. And I thought he was so good at like the storytelling element. And I think like overall, it's funny to see how like comedy has shifted from more like punchline, you know, tiptoeing the line of what's passable what's politically correct and now we've kind of entered this era where these specials are kind of more just like sitting around a campfire and telling each other stories kind of like it reminded me of like gerard carmichael's uh rathaniel special from last year um but yeah it was like it was interesting to see him balance the line of like telling these stories that like if you think about them at face value like the rolex thing like it's like oh man that'd probably be really sad to see from like the back seat of a car but the way he told it i don't know he brought like a certain element of personality and personability to the story that made it funny but also like interesting to hear how he looks back at that time in his life i i really enjoyed myself 
Yeah. By the way, Pants is on Slack correctly saying that there are a lot of comparisons being made also to Richard Pryor's Sunset Strip uh, special. I mean, Pryor had an even bigger rock to lift in some ways, having set himself on fire and stuff like that, but um, and, and did wonders with it. I mean, there's a certain kind of comedian, I think, who at rock bottom still has some kind of little tape machine going, thinking this is material. I mean, Nora Ephron famously said, everything is material. Uh, and it's clear <laughs> everything is material for, for this guy. So we have another stand-up comic with us, Carolyn Payne. Maybe before we go to her, let's hear another clip from the special. Uh, I particularly enjoyed this because I'm very resistant to the platform which is being discussed. Uh, And so this is B2, Dylan. I went to my drug dealer's apartment. I'm ashamed to tell you all I was there to buy drugs. And I had to pay my dealer in cash. And I had to give him a bunch of cash for some drugs I bought a couple nights before because my Venmo was maxed out. Did Did you know you can do that? You can max your Venmo out on a weekly basis. By the way, while I have you all here, allow me to say something about Venmo on behalf of the drug addict community. Venmo is for drug deals. That's what it was for. None of us in the drug world have any clue what all of you civilians are doing on our app with your public transactions? (laughs) What are you, in Yield Marketplace, 1555? Hear ye, hear ye, look at me. I trade one fatted goose for 10 radishes. Keep it to yourself. All right, so Carolyn, uh, give us your overall take on Baby J. Um, I loved this. And stand-up specials are sometimes a hard sell for me. Uh, I Depending on, on, on the comic, like I, sometimes you don't want to be spending that kind of time with them or going on the journey that they're going on. And this one, you know, going into it knowing that he, because I had heard and read things that this, that he was addressing uh, his, his intervention and his time in rehab and everything. Um you know, I, I was nervous, but he is so brilliant in this with this like self-deprecating journey. Uh, I, I think if anyone was ready to kind of write him off, this completely flips you. I mean, like Sam got completely flipped on him. Um, and and I kind of has all, I've always liked John Mulaney. And uh, I think I like him a lot more because of this. And uh you know, he, the way he uses, I think he has a great voice. Uh, and, uh, you know, now I also can't hear his voice without thinking of Big Mouth on Netflix um, and his character on that. But he utilizes his voice with these long form jokes and and just the way he really brings you into these really dark stories about these dark times, but makes you laugh at him and with him and... Uh, I just I thought it was I thought it was great. And I love the look of it, too. I know we were talking about that. This is kind of this very like lush. uh, It's shot in Boston at the symphony. So, I mean, the lighting is so cool. His magenta suit is like dashing. Um, He really uh, everything. Everything is very well thought out. And for me, the, the like the way he ends it by making fun of his own cocaine riddled interview with GQ is brilliant. Like, I think that's his way of uh, 
kind of apologizing for who he was saying, I see this, let's all laugh about it. And I'm moving on to next steps. And I mean, I laughed at when he said, you hear that noise, that's my spoon falling. I'm eating Fruit Loops. When that was put in the interview, which also that G, those GQ editors knew exactly what they were doing, I mm -hmm. think. Um, that made me laugh so hard. I was, I was near tears just at the thought of him, <laughs> of him saying that and had the way he made fun of it. So, uh, I really, I really was impressed by this and, and dug it. There's a stretch in this thing that is so funny that if I even think about it now, I'm going to start laughing, but uh, <laughs> it's where he, he, he describes having dealt with a doctor who only used a first name, Dr. Michael, uh, and who had all of these very odd things. I don't want to wreck anything because the, the stuff about Dr. Michael is very funny. But then he gets to rehab and he's visited by a doctor, Dr. Henry Fortescue. And he goes, oh, no, a doctor with two names. <laughs> and, and then he tries to placate this doctor in the way that he had placated Dr. Michael in the past. And I, I really I, I thought I might have to call 911. I was laughing so hard. I was really kind of running out of air. But, um, Sean, you know, apropos of what Sam said, I think we both know Sam's wrong, but um, yeah. that, um, <laughs> that the, I, I think the old, first of all, I, what I think is, I think what we're seeing now is a guy that we kind of knew lived inside the old Mulaney, that the comic tension, I, I've loved every one of his comic uh, comedy specials, uh, and I loved the Sack Lunch Bunch, which I think is kind of an overlooked masterpiece. Yes. Uh, but um, there's a sense of, here's this kind of upright Midwestern Chicago guy, you know, who, who does look a little bit like a church boy, but you can sort of also sense the entire time in any of those specials, there's something else there that's a lot darker that is interested in getting out or being concealed or maybe both at the same time. I think there's always been a tension between his sort of, in a way, you know, you were talking about his his physical kinetics. You know, he because he looks so uptight and upright and Midwestern and, you know, Episcopalian, he, he doesn't have to do that much to seem like he's moving around a lot, right? Uh, and, and I think sort of all of that, you know, has worked for him really well in the past, but now it's working in a different way. Yeah, because, um, like, I, I kind of disagree with Sam in the sense that, like, I don't think he was that much of a, like, like, I think his, I was saying that his, his image was very clean cut. But, like, if you listen to the, like, his material, he was never, like, like the most, like, he would talk about having done cocaine. He would talk about, like, tr getting, like, being a scuzzball who's trying to, like, get Xanax from a doctor when he shouldn't, well, I guess maybe that was Dr. Michael after all. Um, I think it's just that, like, now he's, like, I don't have to, like, even pretend, like, that's, like, um... Like the those parts of me are just a little bit like it's like maybe that's a lot more like like that intervention story is so funny because I recognize like the belligerence that I would have had in that same situation like like just being upset and just trying to tear down the whole thing and I think that's it's it's a brilliant way to approach it because he could have approached it um in in such a like um kind of like less like more self-piteous way and it he's more like like i sucked and like it took you guys to realize that for me yeah i mean uh, uh, we should say that um another big piece of this special is the intervention that was done um and i once again i don't want to spoil any of this there were some kind of things that his comedian friends had committed to in terms of the way they were going to do this invention <laughs> and what they weren't going to do during this in in uh, intervention and what somebody thought was going to happen during this intervention having apparently confused it with a different reality tv show uh there's just a lot of a lot of stuff about that and there's you know, Sam, I think one of the things he does really effectively in this thing, too, is he he shares with us 
the real anger he felt uh, over the intervention. I mean, like most junkies, he didn't want to change. He, ha- he had no interest in changing. That's why there had to be an in- intervention. But his, his immediate reaction was one of being under attack and being incredibly angry at all the people. And he kind of sort of in, in a very twisty, funny way, still sort of lets them have it or needles them a little bit uh, about it in this thing. But I thought being sort of honest about anger, like really honest about anger, was was really interesting. Yeah, that was like one of the more surprising parts to me because of like how personal it seemed like the circle was and like how well known these figures are and for him to be like, yeah, I was so pissed. Like, I don't know. I, I Also, I'd say like, I think I was wrong about John Mulaney. I think that like, when I, I really liked Pete Davidson, I really do like Pete Davidson. And I always thought there were so such like polar opposites that like I always gravitated towards Davidson's comedy more. But to know that like Mulaney was kind of like the wacky one makes me want to like revisit it. Um, and I don't know if this is like a spoiler and Colin, you can like make a noise if it is. Mm-hmm. But I thought like one of the more touching parts was that last frame where he kind of like yeah. talks about. I think so you wait, can now, mention that. You can mention that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I've yeah, got yeah. It on my he, screen right now. Yeah. Yeah. Where he like lists the names. And he's like, thanks for saving my life. Like, sometimes it's hard when people like bring up really serious topics, either like lean too hard left or too hard right. It was cool to see him like dedicate time to both being like, all right, I'm going to do a really funny Fred Armisen impression. But then I'm also going to like thank these people for like literally saving my life in a very touching and beautiful way. His, and, friend, his Fred Armisen impression, by the way, is pretty good. I thought it was fantastic. <laughs> yeah, and I speak. <laughs> like, I speak not to not to flex here, but I speak as somebody who has been impersonated on stage by Fred Armisen. Uh, what? Yeah, no, I was I, I was on stage with him. I was doing a thing with him and uh, Tignataro and Mark Marin, and somebody had brought up the whole idea of how do you do an impersonation. And Armisen looked over at me. and goes, "Well, if I were going to impersonate you," and then he started to describe the way he would impersonate me. But he started to do my voice and my cadence more and more it was a very, very disturbing and unsettling thing uh, um, this is why you need an instagram i gotta see this video yeah well <laughs> connecticut forum still has it somewhere so yeah i mean the 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 names that come up at the end of the people who made the intervention there were 12 of them which turns out to be kind of important to one of the jokes that he does um and they're all just mentioned by their first name but you know, Carolyn, I'm assuming Natasha is Natasha Leon. Boy, if Natasha, Le- if Natasha, Natasha Leon is doing your intervention, you've really got a problem, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, for sure. I I saw that before I watched the special, I had seen a headline that like it was revealed that Natasha Leon was part of the intervention for John Mulaney. And that was exactly my first thought. I was like, wow, he was in so much more trouble than I thought. If <laughs> Natasha Leon is like, dude, you got to slow down. Um, I mean, though, no, she's she would be great because she is kind of you know, living life now after a really dark period when she was young and she's come through that. So she would, you know, I I think she would be a good resource and a strong friend in that. Um, And I got, it made me laugh too about the intervention where his comedian friends were like, we're not going to be funny. Uh, I once had to, was part of a conversation with a friend about something very serious and everyone admitted to me that they were hesitant to have me part of the conversation because they told me that I can't say things without sounding funny. Um, And they were afraid that I would make it a joke. (laughs) So I understand the, uh, the horror of how hearing Fred, Fred Armisen be so serious, it would just come across as weird. 
Um, <laughs> so I, I really got that uh, visual imagery of, of all of that for sure. So maybe we have time for one last thing, um, and, and that uh, is, you know, there's an interesting little thing that he does, uh, Sean, and since you've seen this multiple times now, I'm wondering if you have any insight into it, which is very early on, he locates a kid in the audience. There's a fifth grader up in the balcony. Uh, and so this allows him to sort of, first of all, kind of say this may not be exactly the kind of thing that you should be hearing, and uh, and I hope you take it a certain way, and then do one or two callbacks to the kid a couple of times. And I'm I'm guessing he probably does that show to show, figure out, figures out if there's a kid so he can kind of either put the pin back in the grenade of that whole thing or, or do something else with it. Yeah. It, it, when I saw him in Philly, uh, I, I, I remember there being a kid. So I'm hoping it's not just like a plant. And uh, I hope it is just like, because there are little kids, there was other kids uh, there when I went to like, there were other little kids in the audience, but um, yeah, that's a, it, it was an interesting when, when I saw him in Philly, he went like, he talked to that kid for like five straight minutes. I guess I understand why he wouldn't do that in the special, but um, it was super funny because he kept talking about asking him like what kind of drugs he knew about, and like he would ask him like, you know what barbiturates are, like that kind of thing. It was uh, he also like Natasha Leone. He mentions her in when he, when I saw him in Philly. Like he he like I don't know. He cut out a lot, and um, I can see why he did for time. But like this is, I mean, he's been my favorite comedian for years, but like. I was just so uh, impressed with the entire presentation of this. Like, even the whole thing being framed as one big story, like, mm -hmm. is kind of, I don't know, it's it's pretty impressive. Yeah, it's an 80-minute long story, which is like a, that's sort of Mike Birbiglia uh, territory. All right, we got to take a quick break. We will come back. We will make some endorsements. <laughs> And we're back. I'll just quickly say that Monday is a very big day for us on our show. Probably a big day for us in a way that will mean almost nothing to anybody else. But we are kind of relaunching the show with all kinds of new features and and a new appearance and all this kind of stuff. One thing I would uh, suggest you do today, maybe, if you want to, is to go to ctpublic.org slash Colin and sign up for the newsletter. The newsletter uh, will be a brand new newsletter that's going to come out tomorrow. We'll have some of the endorsements that you're about to hear here uh, and lots of other fun stuff as well. So uh, if you sign up today, you'll, you will still get it tomorrow morning. All right. Uh, time to say thank you to Dylan Rays, who is uh, sitting in as technical producer today, doing his usual wonderful job. Jonathan McPants is, as usual, the producer of today's episode. And we're going to make some endorsements and recommendations to you. Sam Hadleman, why don't you get us started? Um. I'm going to make a quick switch from what I emailed over because we're like promoting stuff and I just found this out earlier. Um, I'm going to promote a project that I worked on. Uh, it's called Love Streak. Uh, the artist's name is Tony Snow. And the reason why I'm doing it is because uh, for the first time in my uh, music publicity career, we got on All Songs Considered today, which was nice. Uh, they mentioned it on the show. Um, he's an Atlanta rapper who is trying to rap kind of like he's in Wu-Tang Clan in the 90s over like SWV samples and salon samples. It's really nice, like go on a walk, moisturize, light a candle. And then I'll uh, also recommend Hunter Harris's Substack Hung Up because as everybody in this call is probably doing, I'm watching a lot of Succession on Sunday night. And like immediately after the episode, I like 
look at her power rankings and it's really clever and cute and pretty much anybody who enjoys pop culture and probably doesn't have TikTok should should be reading Hunter Harris's stuff. Also listening to The Watch, uh, they do a, a pretty remarkable uh, yes. uh, summing up. I think those guys, Andy Greenwald and Chris Ryan, are just really remarkable. Sean, uh, why don't you uh, make some recommendations? Um, well, you kind of scooped me oh, earlier no. when you mentioned uh, the Sack Lunch Bunch uh, <laughs> because I was going to recommend that. I think do that's it. like the best representation of uh, John Mulaney's like total, like everything he's interested in is in that special. Like it's weird. It's silly. He's so, like, he's so much more silly than his persona would suggest. Um, and I think like, it's like, he's got David Byrne in it. It's like, it, he's got, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal being, I mean, Gyllenhaal Jill- goes to Gyllenhaal silly places. is but- really, really funny in that. And I also like the like, anomalous stuff, like for no reason. So this is sort of an, uh, um, uh, send up or an affectionate send up of free to be you and me and those kinds of Marlo Thomas, uh, kid specials, uh, that probably were part of Mulaney's youth. But like, so he's got all these really funny little kids on. But at one point, he has Richard Kind, the character actor, just talk to them like they were grownups or something <laughs> for no reason. It is never explained why Richard Kind would be an appropriate person to do this. Anyway, continue. Yeah, it's 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 so good. Um, uh, this is this is one um joke he does about this character called Googie, who's like sort of <laughs> like a Barney type, and it's like one of the funniest things I've ever seen in my life. And then one other recommendation, real quick, is um. Gwendolyn Brooks, the uh, late uh, Pulitzer Prize winning uh, American poet, American treasure. Um, I read uh, one of her um, poetry collections, uh, Selected Poems. I think she's just one of the most magnificent poets I've ever read. Um, just so good. Uh, specifically, this this uh, poem called Piano After War. If you look that up on Google, you'll find it on some awful website. But one of the most poignant, beautiful poems I've ever read. So Gwendolyn Brooks, just she's got so many books of poetry, but I've read selected poems, and that's great. All right. Uh, I recommended poems last week, too, because April is National Poetry Month. you got two and a half days left to celebrate that. So, yeah, maybe check out some Gwendolyn Brooks. And Carolyn Payne, how about you? Uh, so I am going to endorse another stand-up special on Netflix, uh, Celeste Barber. So I not only endorse her stand-up special, but her series, Well Mania, which is also on Netflix. She is an Australian comedian. Uh, she is really well-known for also through her Instagram. She is hilarious to follow there and um, does has long done inventive stuff on that. Uh, so if you don't know who she is or haven't really watched her or seen that, you're in for a real treat. So check out Celeste Barber and her show. Okay, I'm gonna. I'm sort of out of time here, so I'll just quickly promote an idea, and that's financial literacy. One of the things I realized is I've just never understood money my entire life, uh, and not just in terms of investing it, but I don't really understand the world that we're living in as, in the way that business and money affects us. Uh, and so I've been really making an effort to fix that, just so I can be also a slightly more effective commentator on some of these things. Uh, I've mentioned this guy in the past, Scott Galloway. He's on two different podcasts. He's a guy who actually made a lot of money on his own, and now he just... You know, does whatever he wants to do. And so what he wants to do is a podcast called The Pivot with Kara Swisher uh, and then his own uh, pos- uh, podcast, which is called Prof G. Uh, and he's really funny and he tells really, really stupid penis jokes. Uh, but if you can kind of look past that, uh, he just has a very, very keen mind. He explains things in a, to me in a way that I understand. He's starting to direct me at other books I need to read. I think, you know, we're living a, in a world, we're living in a capitalist system that's ruled by money. It kind of behooves us to see if we can figure out what's going on so we become players and not victims. All right, that's all. Thanks for listening to the news today. Getting on New Britain, Vernon, I already said that one, Avon, Farmington, yeah, 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 yeah.